Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. So when it comes to boosting your clinic's online visibility, reputation, and increasing referrals, NetHealth's digital marketing solutions has the tools you need to beat the competition. They know you want your clinic to get found, get chosen, and definitely get those five-star reviews on Google. NetHealth has a fun new offer. If you sign up and complete a marketing audit to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win, they will buy lunch for your office. If you are already using NetHealth Private Practice EMR, be sure to ask about its new integration. Head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up for your complimentary marketing audit. So a huge thank you to NetHealth. Now, on today's episode, we are continuing our conversation around long COVID, and I am thrilled to have on the show Dr. Daria Oler. She is a physical therapist at Proactivity in Lebanon, New Jersey, in both an outpatient clinic and on-site with employer clients. She specializes in working with dancers and athletes and in the prevention and health promotion. She is also an athletic trainer, having worked in clinical research and education settings. She serves as the PI for a study describing injury and illness experience of youth campers at university-sponsored summer sport camp program. Daria contracted COVID-19 in March 2020. It continues to affect her daily life, including her ability to participate in and pursue her passions for dance and running. She is one of the founding members of Long COVID Physio and has been sharing her lived experience on social media. So if you are not following her, I suggest you follow her on Twitter, on tap Physio 2 and you can also follow at Long COVID Physio. And all of the links to all of Daria's information and social media can be found at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. Uh, under this episode. So today, Daria talks about some of the signs and symptoms and causes of long COVID and how she has been living with long COVID for the past year. So just like last week uh, with my interview with Darren, and if you missed that, I highly suggest you go back and listen to that interview. Um, I want to thank Daria for her her, uh, vulnerability and for being so honest uh, about her experience because I know that it's not easy. And yes, we will have Darren... Daria and Ted all together on the 30th of this month. That is Tuesday, I believe, August 30th, or sorry, I'm sorry, Monday, August 30th at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we will be, we will have all of the guests from this month talking about long COVID. So uh, if you want to learn more about working with people, Living with Long COVID, you're definitely going to want to check out that roundtable. And again, um, you can find out more about that roundtable by going to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com and clicking on the tab that says Roundtable Talks. So big thanks to Daria, everyone. Enjoy today's episode. Hey, Daria. Welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you on this month where we are talking all about Long COVID symptoms and uh, rehabilitation. So welcome. Thank you for having me. And now, 
what's your interest in long COVID? Let the, let the listeners so, know if they don't follow you on Twitter. Yes, yes, I'm very public about this. I got sick with COVID last year in the middle of March, 2020, and the symptoms never went away. And early on, you know, we were told people recover in two weeks. And after two weeks, I said, I'm not better yet. And I you know, was young and healthy. I'm a distance runner. I'm a dancer, pretty fit. And I just wasn't getting better. And I didn't know anything about post-viral illnesses at all. So being the good PT that I am, I just pushed exercise and pushed and pushed because that's what we do. And it made everything a lot worse. <laughs> and then through Twitter, um, some of the PTs who specialize in myalgic encephalomyelitis and chronic fatigue syndrome reached out to me when they saw my tweets and said, this is bad. You need to stop. Um, we're going to help you. <laughs> um, so then I, it just snowballed from there. And I started learning about um, chronic fatigue and the similarities that were coming up with long COVID. Um, and, I, and so I, besides that, it like just personally affects me because it really drastically affected my life. I'm thinking if I, you know, wasn't aware of this and I've been a clinician for 15 years, like how many other people don't know about this? Cause it seemed like just as all the PTs with long COVID started finding each other, so many of us had no idea. And this is across all different specialties and settings, different ages. And we just didn't know unless you somehow happened to wind up in the chronic fatigue space already, we had no idea. And it seems really easy, not only to make mistakes with ourselves, which many of us who got sick in the first wave did, but to then make mistakes with patients because you're going to do graded exercise. That's what we do. You're going to encourage patients to push a little bit, to push through all the symptoms. And it's really dangerous. So I want to make sure, you know, that people are learning that we're educating our colleagues and even they're trying to reach out to patients too and teach them um, how to advocate for themselves, teach them some of the basic information that's out. Um, so yeah, so in addition to just affecting me personally, I've seen professionally how important it is to help educate and advocate. And can you, I, Darren and I spoke about this last week, but I feel like we can never say it enough. Can you define what is long COVID and what are some common signs and symptoms? Yes. So long COVID comes after an acute COVID-19 infection. So it basically you don't clear the symptoms. You continue to have symptoms and they can change what the acute symptoms are in those first couple of weeks can be drastically different. What happens weeks and even months later, people are reporting new symptoms. So right now the current definition, definition is prolonged symptoms after four weeks. There are people who have it just for a couple months. Many of us are on month 15, month 16. And some of the common signs and symptoms, some um, like for me, for example, seem to have carried over from the acute having shortness of breath, chest tightness, chest pain, all different kinds of chest pain. Dysautonomia is really common now. So we're seeing people who have really funky things happening with their heart rate, with their blood pressure, heat intolerance, um, just a really poor tolerance to exercise. And um, so taking a term from chronic fatigue syndrome, there's post-exertional malaise, or we've been saying post-exertional symptom exacerbation. So whenever you can do not only exertion, like exercise, heavy exercise, but just general physical exertion, just you know, walking to the corner, could have cognitive exertion, like going to work or emotional exertion, that can set off a whole cascade and worsen symptoms. And that can range from just a, like a small exacerbation to people get fevers, for me personally, like I can't get up off the couch. I can't speak really well. And it's multi-systemic. So it's really interesting because two people don't present the same. Some people can have more neurological, some can be more cardio, some can be more cognitive, respiratory. There can be a whole mix. We're seeing people who have um, mast cell activation syndrome and you're seeing allergic type things and rashes and changes in food tolerance and GI disturbances. It is really, really across the board. There's no one set, this is what long COVID looks like, but there are symptoms that are just continuing from weeks to months after the acute infection. 
So tell me now, what should therapists or trainers be trying to implement into your patients or, or even you, if you are someone living with long COVID? Yeah, so it's, it can be such a different approach. I'll start with, there are some people that starting with a light exercise program can be appropriate, but there are things that you really need to monitor for and know these like red flags. So looking if somebody has dysautonomia, so again, seeing their heart rate, blood pressure changes, just poor tolerance um, to even just moving from supine to you know sitting upright to standing, poor tolerance to the heat, that trying to get that under control first. So that could be just working on breathing in their sessions, working in diaphragmatic breathing, trying to get out of that like very accessory breathing pattern because many of us hyperventilate and just don't even realize that we had adapted that pattern. I look at this too, so I have one patient right now with it. Um, teaching people how to manage their symptoms, that these things are going to happen. And it tends to be very unpredictable and episodic. And that's what's really frustrating. It's not that, oh, I just let me not do this. And then I'll be okay if I avoid this. Cause you could do something one day and be fine. And the next day it sets off a horrible crash. So teaching patients how to start recognizing those signs and symptoms and sort of like, you can sort of tell sometimes when things are starting to go in a bad direction and what do you need to do if you're home, teach them how to lie down, go through the diaphragmatic breathing. Um, I've been sitting with my patient going through her day and like, where are there opportunities to rest? So this is very different than here's your therapist program. It's where can you rest in your day? Where are, what are the things you absolutely need to do? Like eat, <laughs> prepare food, order food, something like that. What are the things that, you know, are good you'd like to do if maybe aren't, you know, priority. And what are the stuff that like, just don't even, <laughs> it's not worth the exertion that can set stuff off. So that's, that's a really big part for me with the sessions is teaching people sort of how to figure out how to live with it. It's not a set plan, like this is what you do, but here, so here's your life. Like I explained to my patient today, like we're not in a lab. We can't control for every possible thing and just tweak one little thing and see what happens. So here's your life. What do you need to do? And then how can we best set up to get you like that you're able to function, that you are able to within reason control the symptoms? Like um, as an example, you know, right now it is incredibly hot in New Jersey, New York City. So we know that that can trigger symptoms. All right, so maybe we figure out if you have to do a food shopping going early in the day, not going at noon when it's going to be really hot out. So there's not you know, necessarily something set, but I look at it as helping people figure out how to live their lives right now while managing the symptoms. And that kind of takes me to the concept of pacing, which I think maybe a lot of people don't quite understand. So can you talk about what pacing is and how that differs from a graded exercise program? Yes. Pacing is so difficult. It sounds easy and it's not. So, and this is pacing, like let's say I'm a distance runner. So I understand how to pace, you know, over running, but to pace in your life is so challenging. So it might mean breaking something up. PTs will understand this. Some, some of us can sit at a computer for a few hours just to, to go through those notes, get them done. I can't anymore. So it's like maybe set a little chunk of time and then maybe you need to rest. Maybe you just need to get up and take a break. It might be cleaning your house that you can't do it all in one shot, that you need to maybe do some in the morning and some at night, some today, some tomorrow. It's, I look at it as like finding opportunities to slow down and opportunities to rest. And something I've noticed is the world isn't really set up for that. It is really, really challenging. Um, you do your best. And there are certain things you know it, you won't necessarily be able to pace with. But when you can, just trying to spread it out because our energy is very finite. And this is like literally at the cellular level, the energy is just not there. Um, so you can't necessarily push through it. You could try, but that's gonna affect you tomorrow. And then you'll be at a deficit for the next day and the next day. So it's learning how to pull back, 
do what's really essential first, like really prioritize and finding opportunities to rest when you can. Yeah, much, much different than a graded approach to activity or a graded approach to exercise, which is every time you do something, you increase it a little bit more. And that's what's interesting too, because yeah, that's just, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. But because symptoms can be unpredictable, just because like, I'll use an example, just because I could pick up five pounds one day, doesn't mean I could do five or six pounds the next day. It might be the next day, one pound. Um, so it's really hard. You have to really listen to the patient and just go off of how they are feeling that day and let them know too, that they're not doing worse because they can't do the same amount of whatever it is that they could do the day before. Because that's a hard thing you look at and you're like, but I just did this two days ago. Why can't I do that? Why am I so tired today? It's so complicated. Um, so yeah, it's trying to avoid that a little bit more the next day, a little bit more, a little bit more, and just work with where you are that day, wherever mm-hmm. your symptoms are at, let's work from there. It's a much different mindset than what we're used to. And now as, as we talk about that, I think that there's something important that we have to mention, and that's athletes living with long COVID. So what are some specific considerations for athletes returning to sport post COVID infection or athletes with long COVID? Yeah, I look at this as with with any athlete who has had a COVID infection, you just need to be aware and just be monitoring for possible little red flags that they might be going the long COVID direction, because for anybody, it's not always immediate. There are people who were doing okay and a couple months later had a flare up. And we know with athletes in general, um, and I say this as one, we push, you know, there are athletes who have played while they have broken bones and concussions and all kinds of things. So the fact that they're able to keep going doesn't necessarily mean that it's safe. And an example for me, like I ran 10 and a half miles two months after I got sick, which is insane, <laughs> but I, I pushed and I did it. And then you could look at my heart rate and see why it was bad. Um, so you're monitoring for, especially that post-exertion uh, symptom exacerbation. If after they're working out, they're doing their practice, even watching film, the cognitive demand for that, if it's a sport that has film, are they crashing? Not just the normal, um, you know, you're a little fatigued or maybe you have some doms or something like that, but they're just completely done. It's really important to educate them and let them know because they might just think that it's just deconditioning. You need to get back in shape really important to monitor their heart rates too, because then they're going to push, especially getting back now after, after not being able to play sports from the pandemic, everyone's going to be excited, have big adrenaline rushes and be able to push. And it's great to be able to look at some vital signs, to look at their heart rate, look at their blood pressure and see what it's doing, because they might not always be aware of what's going on to report it. But we know when you could look at it as something objective, like a heart rate and see, this is not the normal response from like what we would expect. So I know in the literature, there's been some emphasis on clearing them um, for cardiac conditions, obviously super important. We see myocarditis and all kinds of things. That is very important, but we're seeing many people in general long COVID whose basic lab work imaging is negative, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily okay. So it's looking for the dysautonomia, particularly with sport, looking for the post-exertional symptom malaise after they're playing, after their conditioning, again, after even cognitive exertion um, to see how they're doing and monitoring for months. Again, don't assume because they were okay in the beginning because they're able to push through a couple of things that they're okay because athletes will push through some pretty dangerous things to play. And can you just for the audience give a specific definition to the post-exercise malaise or post-exercise symptom exacerbation? Because I really want people to understand that it's not just like I'm a little tired and I just need to rest. So can you explain what that means? Yeah, it is. What that looks like. Yes, it is actually like physiologic reaction. Um, So people will report 
an increase of flare up, increase in severity of their symptoms. And you will actually see like physical sick symptoms. Like a fever is I think a really great example because no matter how hard you push, exercising a fever is not a normal um, you know, response to that. And it is, it is so hard to explain once you experience it, how crippling the fatigue is. It is something you cannot push through. Like you cannot get up. It sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. And I was talking to PT Todd Davenport about this and he, with his work in chronic fatigue was saying like, it's literally too energy demanding to talk. Like the amount of energy it takes for what we're doing right now is not there. Um, so, and again, it can vary too. Um, there are crashes. That's what, what I've kind of called them and some other people too, that can be a little, minor's not the right word, but not as severe. And some that are, people are literally bed bound and are unable to get up. And it can vary too, where the a post-exertional symptom exacerbation, those crashes can last for a few hours. They can last for days, weeks. Some of us, it takes us months to be able to bounce back from one. And even that, we're just trying to get back to that baseline of where we were when the crash happened, not like a true like pre-illness baseline. Got it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Cause I think it's really important to make that distinction uh, for the listeners. So what is the role of social media with long COVID? This has been fascinating. So we all people with long COVID found each other on social media pretty early. Um, this part I didn't find initially, but body politic, they found each other really early and started this whole, pa- well, actually patient-led is another group too, but started these patient-led movements. So people just coming together and saying, we're not better. We don't necessarily know what this is, but this isn't right. This isn't the two-week recovery that we're hearing about. And at the same time, um, people with chronic fatigue were jumping in. They had been sounding alarms from the start of the pandemic. Just, we didn't know about it because, you know, we weren't in that space. And then, so it's the people with long COVID who named it. We gave it a name when we, you know, we weren't being heard initially because things, you know, being in New York City, things were so severe that the focus was on the acutely, severely sick, hospitalized people. Um, so we, on our own, kind of came together, gave it a name, <laughs> and have gone from there. So that's social media has allowed for peer support groups, and we have long COVID physios specifically for PTs, PTAs, other allied healthcare professionals with it. Um, I'm in a group for um, endurance athletes with long COVID. I'm sure there's plenty of other like specific groups where you can relate to each other because when you try to explain this to people who don't have it, they look at you like you're crazy because it just sounds so ridiculous. It doesn't sound like it's real, especially for those of us who were young and healthy and fit, you know, prior to COVID. And then it's allowed us to get information out really fast where, you know, it takes a while to publish. It takes a while to do a study. But all of us, you know, we've been our little ends of one, like, I'm going to report what I'm going through, you know, PT Twitter was great encouraging me from the beginning, just report what you have, because that's, you know, that's one example we'll learn from. So we've been able to get that information out. And papers have gotten out very quickly, we have had some amazing webinars and just things that our people are just producing so quickly. And on their own, sometimes we're faster than having to go through a whole, you know, association and, you know, go through journal and everything. So that's been amazing. And we find each other and I know which are the accounts that are going to put out like the peer reviewed articles when they're there. I know which are the accounts that are going to have the great webinars and all the free things that are available on YouTube to watch. I know which are the accounts that are patients sharing their stories. So you kind of find too what fits with, with what you need to know and whether you're at the, just the patient level or you're a clinician who needs information. And can you, what are some of the accounts or, or if you want, you can send them to me and people listening can just, that way you don't have to rattle through a million accounts that no one's not going to, no one's going to remember anyway. So if you can send me some of the accounts of individuals and groups that people, if they're listening, have long COVID, they know who to follow and where to get accurate information from. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great point, the accurate. That's been, for better or for worse, having clinicians and researchers with long COVID gives you people who know, you know what they're talking about um, that you can follow them. And I'll add for what you said, because I went, oh no, because one of the things that happens with long COVID is brain fog, um, which is a very broad you know, term. And it sounds like not much, but the symptoms, the cognitive symptoms really, really range. And you'll see some of us just kind of get stuck finding words or trying to remember something, or I can picture people's Twitter profile photos couldn't tell you what the handle is unless I like actually see it. That's been a really challenging thing. I've been trying to kind of figure out how to work so I can send you. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's Perfect. great. It is, it is so great to have other people to follow who are in the same boat or what we're calling, you know, allies, people who are sharing, they might not have it, but they're in a clinical space or research space to help. Yeah. Fabulous. Yes. So for all of you listening, Daria will send them to me. You can go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, click on this episode, and then you will click on whichever of those links you would like to follow. That would be much easier. And on that note, we'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back. When it comes to boosting your clinic's online visibility, reputation, and increasing referrals, NetHealth's digital marketing solutions has the tools you need to beat the competition. They know you want your clinic to get found, get chosen, and definitely get those five-star reviews on Google. NetHealth is a fun new offer. If you sign up and complete a marketing audit to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win, they will buy lunch for your office. If you're already using NetHealth Private Practice EMR, be sure to ask about its new integration. Head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up for your complimentary marketing audit. Okay, so now... Um, let's talk about just, uh, this will be, we'll, we'll sort of finish up our conversation on a light note. Let's talk about the mental health considerations of those living with long COVID. Oh yeah, this is a whole big topic. So I'll start with, um, it was pretty early on from when I had symptoms that somebody had first mentioned anxiety in me, kind of implying that might be what the cause of my symptoms were. Um, and I just say for me personally, I'm not an anxious person at all. Um, so on one end, we're, you know, we're trying to say that it is virus driven. People can have mental health aspects without getting into, but that's not the root cause. So that's really important to tease out because people are told, and I'm learning all about this from other people, chronic illness, going in that direction and saying, no, but psychological interventions can help, but that is not the underlying cause. But that alone, when people are telling you you're anxious, you're depressed when that's not what's driving it is really frustrating. But because of all these symptoms, having this new chronic illness during a pandemic that has been politicized with false information, it's really hard because you'll talk to people who don't believe in the science of what this is, and they don't know that you have long COVID and you're just, so that's really, really difficult. Um, And it changes your life. You know, it's a complete change in your identity for all of us, particularly who are really active, whether it's exercise or as PTs, we have physically demanding jobs and you have to like figure out who you are now. If you can't do all the things you used to be able to do, you know, who are you? And then say for me, like running and dancing, that, that was my stress relief. That's my outlet. That's how I express myself, particularly with dancing. And now, you know, I'm not able to do that like I was before. And it takes a toll and you're trying to find well, what can I do then? What, what am I able to do to try to help cope with these symptoms? This is, it is so frustrating. You are trying to figure out how to live with symptoms that are unpredictable and episodic. And like I mentioned before, you know, the world isn't adapting to what's going on. The world's just going on like it was before the pandemic. 
So having like peer support has been really, really invaluable to have other people to talk to that understand it. And you can not only explain the symptoms, but you can be going through the symptoms and you know they understand when you forget your words, when you stumble, when you're just too tired to sit up. So you're on a Zoom lying down. There's so many things like that. Um, when you have people to, to just, just to vent to, or who, you know, they just understand what you're going through. That's been really big because the first, for me, the first few months, I didn't know anybody else with it. Um, and I, obviously there's plenty of great PTs who I was talking to trying to help and my friends, but when you have people to talk to who understand that makes such a difference. It's just like this weight off of your shoulders and like, Oh, you understand, you get it. I've met people. Um, when we work with employer clients for my job, who have long COVID and they start to explain the symptoms to me. And I could see them kind of hesitating when they say that. I was like, no, no, I understand. <laughs> I understand that you get really sweaty all the time. You're not crazy. That's a real symptom. That is a thing we can talk about that. Yeah. Cause this is something I didn't appreciate earlier. You know, I work in orthopedics and it, you know, there, there is a mental health aspect to it, but this is a whole other world I wasn't aware of. Yeah. And it's as a PT, it's making sure you're listening to the patients that you're, you know, validating their experience and not saying maybe if you're not familiar with it, saying, well, that's weird. You know, that's, that can't be right, that you're really listening to them. And that when you're, as you're listening, if you're hearing some of those red flags, that maybe as a result of um, long COVID, or maybe they had anxiety and depression already, and this is exacerbating it, you know, that you're listening, you're ready to provide resources, um, if that's appropriate. And then now we're even take a sad turn, but there are people who are committing suicide from long COVID. There was just a big case um, in the news because the woman was a writer. There's um, somebody who owned a chain of restaurants that was pretty famous that had committed suicide. And, there, and there's more that are in the news, but that's really big too. And it's something that, again, I didn't necessarily appreciate until I was going through not only chronic symptoms in general, but symptoms where there's not a cure or a treatment necessarily. So it's a whole new, like a whole new world um, to learn about this. So as a PT, it's just really listening to the patients and under, trying to you know understand, be open to what they're going through, that it's not just physical symptoms, but it's gonna affect their entire being. Yeah, and you know, when Darren and I were talking about this, I said, you know, it reminds me uh, or makes me think of people with uh, headache, chronic headaches, migraines, maybe neck pain, back pain, mm -hmm. where, you know, you're not walking with an assistive device, you don't have a limp, you, you're, you know, you don't have the symptoms of someone who's quote unquote sick. So it's one of those sort of silent, um, uh, silent diseases, if you will, or, or silent symptoms for a lot of people. And to have to explain to people why you can't meet them for dinner or why you have to, it can just be exhausting. Yes, so how do yeah. you deal with that? Oh, <laughs> this has taken a long time because I'm someone where you can look at me and assume I'm high functioning because I go to work every day. You know, I, to a degree, kept up with dancing, um, but I'll explain to people when they're not getting it that they don't see what it takes for me to be able to do those things. The resting that I have to do as soon as I get home from work or dance or something draining, I lie down. I'm supine. That is like, if as long as my schedule lets me do that, that's the first thing I do when I walk in the door. If I have to drive for a while, if I can, I sit down when I get done or I lie down even better. Um, so there's a lot of strategies like that that go on that you wouldn't see unless you're next to me. So I'll tell people about that. You know, I might look okay, but there are symptoms that are going on. And I'll explain to you, particularly thing because I dance, you know, and the show must go on. I'm accustomed to ignoring symptoms 
and smiling and getting out on stage and you know pretend everything's okay. So that's something that I've learned. It's not probably the greatest trait to have with long COVID because <laughs> again, people it just looks like you know we're okay, um, but it's, it's explaining you know what it takes to be able to just do basic things like go food shopping. And what advice do you have for uh, for people living with long COVID when it comes to their mental health? I think the advice that you just gave for therapists to really listen to your patients, not only listen, believe them. Um, but what advice do you have for people living with long COVID? Um, if they are kind of suffering, their mental health is suffering. Yeah. A big thing is, is like we've already talked about social media. If you can find, there are lots of great peer support groups. There are just general long COVID groups on Facebook. And then, you know, there's specific ones targeting, um, you know, very specific populations. So at least even if it's not, you're not, you're not getting professional help, you at least have other people you can relate to. Because I know that with long COVID clinics that are, that are starting, um, they're a wait list. So trying to go through that referral system, you know, to try to, to get to somebody to help can be a little challenging. And I know for me and other people, it's been having to just kind of accept that this is a thing going on and that it, you can't push through it. You can't just kind of wish it away. You can't ignore it. it it's there. And you, you can try to ignore it, but it won't let you, you're not going to get very far. And this is so much easier said than done, but just trying to accept the, how uncertain it is <laughs> and just being able to kind of roll with it and know, you know, you might plan, have plans for a certain day and you wake up and say, all right, nope, that's not today. That's not going to happen. You know, I wanted to go to the pride parade on Sunday in the city and it was 90, whatever degrees, obviously very crowded, a lot of stimulus. I said, nope, this is, this is not a good idea. It would have been great to do, but not safe. So it's being able to, you know, recognize your limitations and something, I can't remember who told me this, but if not only acknowledging the things you can't do, because that is important to recognize certain things that are not good right now, but something you did do that day, like maybe I wasn't able to go food shopping because it was too much, but I didn't crash. I got through the day without a crash. That's a positive thing. And it's hard again, because it's not always in our control, but that's something I've been trying to do as frustrated as I get because there's so many things I can't do right now, or I could, but I shouldn't because I've learned the things I shouldn't do. Just also recognizing there are still things that we're in our control, maybe even on like the worst day and you're not able to really get up and do much, look at your heart rate and say, hey, but I was able to keep my heart rate at a fairly low level because I understood that I was supposed to stay in bed. So looking for those little wins and victories, even if they're small, even if they don't seem like much, if you're accustomed to doing a lot, it helps. It gives you just like a little bit incentive. So you can kind of look at the big picture and see that if you are making progress. Yeah. That's such great advice. And, you know, Louis Giffords called that looking for the pink flags. So looking for those, you know, cause we've got red flags, yellow flags, yeah. looking for those pink flags, which are those, those exactly what you just said, those times where you're like, you know, I still have back pain, but Hey, I was able to sit through a movie. Right. Yeah. Or, Oh, I was, I wasn't able to get out, but I was able to, to do some stretching. Right. So it's like, these are, you're really looking for those pink flags, those things that give hope that give, um, uh, a sense of accomplishment, however yes. small or big it might be. So I think yes. that's really important. So yeah, now it's so it's helpful no, too, because you don't know from day to day, what's going to happen. Um, which it just makes it so hard. <laughs> that is the really frustrating part. And like, you really yeah. have no idea. I can't remember. There's so many things that I've read. I always forget who, where I read what, 
But there was a physician who said with long COVID, it's like putting your hand in a bag of symptoms and pulling them out and say, this is me today, which is very accurate. That is a hundred percent accurate. So yeah, when you can say, all right, well, today didn't turn out as planned, but I did something or at least, you know, things didn't get worse. Sometimes literally the accomplishment is that things didn't get worse. (laughs) You were able to sort of manage it. It just really changes your perspective on how you look at things. But it's knowing that we don't know what's going to happen. We don't have a predictable rough timeline on what to expect. We don't know that, oh, if you're in this age range, you're more likely to have this. Or if you were healthier, you're, because we're seeing people who had no comorbidities, um, unlike, you know, with the severe acute infections. So just looking for those little wins can make a difference. Yes, I was explaining um, to my patient today that I saw, because she was, she was explaining friends who aren't understanding it. And it's, it's going to happen. And it's as long as you have to, I, I think of the Mr. Rogers quote about finding the helpers. <laughs> and in that case, you know, I had a friend who visited, um, I hadn't seen her literally in two years, but I knew she would understand. And there was a couple hours one day, I just had to lay down and I knew that would be a non-issue for her. She'd either take a nap or find something else to do. So it's looking for that, like knowing who the people are in your life that they'll understand. If you have to cancel last minute, that's fine. If you need to sit down last minute or you know, slow down, you can't do everything that they will understand. And that's not going to be everybody. Not everybody's going to get it, which is fine. It's frustrating, but you know, it is what it is, but looking for those helpers who, even if they can't directly help you, you know, cause they're not in healthcare, they at least will understand. They at least will listen to you and they'll at least say, you know, that's fine. This is who you are today. So we'll work with that. Yeah. That's so great. I think that does sound something like very Mr. Rogers E, right? <laughs> something he would say. Yeah. Um, so now, uh, what would you really like for the listeners to kind of take away from this episode? A couple of things is the one is with anyone with long COVID, whether you're living with it or you have patients with it, um, to not try to push through symptoms. I cannot stress that enough. You can use me as the example of why you should not push through symptoms I have tons of data available from my Garmin and heart crazy heart rate things. And it is just not something you can push through. And it's not a failure on somebody's part. It's not that they're not trying hard enough. It's not that you're not strong enough. It's just physiologically, this is where you are right now. And really doing your best to embrace um, it's hashtag stop rest pace, which is from the chronic fatigue community to really, really try to do that. Well, there's, you know, like I said, there's no set treatment um, or cure. We know that th- that helps. It doesn't magically fix everything and everybody's different with how you implement it in your life. But the stopping, resting and pacing makes a really, really big difference. And like as a PT, you just need to be open to this paradigm shift. It is so different than what we are taught from, you know, my mindset, like so many people's it was, I got to move. My dad's a respiratory therapist. He's retired now. But in, when I got sick last year in March, he said, knowing me, you know, you need to wait two weeks until you don't have symptoms before you start running. It's like, that's crazy. No, I got to move. And here's all the reasons why I can't be sedentary. Here's all the health reasons. And now I've had to like shift that in my brain a lot and say, okay, I know there's risks with bone health and cardiac disease and all these things. But the priority right now is trying to get the symptoms under control and really trying to prevent crashes as much as possible. So just being open to that. And yes, there are concerns about being sedentary, but right now preventing the crashes supersedes that. Got it. Excellent advice. Now, where can people find you on social media? On Twitter. I'm on Twitter often. And I would say you can tell when I'm lying down resting because that's when I'm tweeting a lot. Good to know. It's, it's at on tap physio two, number two. That is the best place to reach me on Instagram. I'm on tap physio. Excellent. I'm on Twitter often. 
Yes. Yes, you are. And <laughs> you give spread a lot of really, really good advice and, and we all Thank appreciate you. your being there and being a voice of truth for people living with long COVID and for clinicians who want to learn more. So we all thank you for that. Um, now last question. I ask everybody this where, uh, uh, what advice, not where, what advice (laughs) would you give to your younger self knowing where you are now in your life and in your career? I'm laughing because (laughs) to not push so hard, which is crazy as a physical therapist or someone in healthcare in general, but to not push so hard. You know, I learned at my very type A all girls high school to push. Like we just you push, you work as hard as you can, you grind. Got that in undergrad and as athletic training student, obviously got that in PT school. And after that, and it has been like to my detriment now that where, you know, we look at that drive, that that's such a great thing to have and look how resilient you are look how anti-fragile you are, look at all these great things. But we're seeing with not just long COVID, but other post-viral illnesses that can actually really harm you. Or, so or life in general. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we get accustomed to not sleeping and just drinking caffeine and all that. So it's, it's crazy to be saying like to myself, <laughs> knowing how I am, but it's to learn like you don't have to push so hard all the time. <laughs> um, that things will be there, you know, you you know yourself, you know what you're capable of doing, but resting, actually resting, not doing things, just resting is really, is as important as pushing hard and pushing hard can lead to all kinds of fun trouble. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that is great advice. And one that I think any, certainly any PT should, should take and should live by. So thank you for that. And thank you for your honesty and being so candid during this conversation, because I think it will help a lot of people. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having, like I said, finding the helpers, you are one helping to get all the information out to people. And, you know, you have such an incredible platform where it's so important that we're reaching people wherever they are and podcasts are definitely a way to do it. So thank you. I am happy to do it. And I am learning more and more myself throughout this whole month. So uh, thank you again. And everyone, thank you so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. A big thank you to Dr. Daria Oler for a great conversation and, of course, to our sponsor, NetHealth. So if you would like to have NetHealth's digital marketing solutions help you with your clinic's online visibility, reputation, and increasing referrals, they have a fun new offer if you sign up and complete a marketing audit to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win They will buy lunch for your office. Head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up for your complimentary marketing audit today. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.